Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Vitalistic Stats, a program that is focused on an outsider's view, my outsider's view and perhaps yours as well, of statistics and sports. I tend to focus on horse racing but often other events come into play depending on the time of the year such as the uh, major uh, auto races that come at the end of May. Um, horse racing throughout the year, especially at this special time with the aftermath of the Kentucky Derby and also the upcoming Preakness and Black Eyed Susans uh, at the end of this particular week that I'm recording this show. I'll have thoughts on both of those uh, events. And uh, talk about the PGA Tour as um, tour goes to a brand new golf course for the time-honored Byron Nelson Open. I'll give you thoughts on the players that uh, I like among those I've selected overall to be uh, uh, winners, if not with this tournament, uh, in the near future. The uh, big event that I must talk about a bit has to do with the matter of uh, sports betting in the United States. And... Uh, I'll get to that big topic first. Firstly, though, I want to remind you that this uh, program can be heard just like you're hearing it right now through the Internet Archive at archive.org. Also, through a device called Anchor.fm, which has kindly distributed idolistic stats to several other platforms. They include Apple's iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and also, uh, you can even ask Siri to play the Idolistic Stats podcast. This is a show I had done on a semi-regular basis for uh, a couple of years. And this is uh, the uh, end of a hiatus with this uh, now second program in the offing. Giving you some uh, thoughts about different sports. And I have built another web presence very recently, uh, before this program, that builds upon one little aspect of horse racing, and that has to do with the wager known as the exacta. And even though it does sound a little self-serving, I am calling myself Exacta Dan. And the Twitter handle is Exacta Dan. Essentially, I am celebrating everything about this wager. I use that wager more often than the win wager, and it's where I've gotten some of my biggest scores in uh, gambling in this uh, favorite sport. The page is still very new. The outline I have for it is to post the top payouts of the exactos across North America, the top three, in the continent every single day, which will be some work when we get to Saturday and Sundays. But uh, I have a few days already posted. I also want to examine the history of the wager. Hopefully, uh, if you know something about it, you can contribute uh, your thoughts and guesses as to how the wager had first uh, come to be. Also, I really want this to be interactive. I want to hear your stories involving exact as uh, good, bad, funny, sad, indifferent, anything that centers with the uh, this particular wager in a particular horse race event. 
So any stories, any anecdotes involving the executives are certainly welcome. You can reach me uh, through the page. My website is dan at radiocrystalblue.net. You can also find me at cblue456 at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, as you know, at Idolistic Stats, and now also at ExactaDan. Along with the uh, presence on Anchor, uh, there'll be other places that you can hear this program as well, but uh, I'll spill the details once the uh, show is available. I wanted to think more about uh, the building of the ExactaDan page. As I mentioned, the top exacta payouts per day also is listening your stories your thoughts on the wager and also how it's factored in your handicapping over the years and again any specific anecdotes are very welcome i also would love your thoughts about the uh black-eyed citizens and the preakness and wondering out loud we'll hear what i was going to reference also about the exacta dan page i know i had something written down here but uh Suffice to say, uh, there is a lot to building a new page, a lot to uh, construct, a lot to figure out, and I want to throw in some handicapping strategies involving the wager that I hope to impart. Also, something that I call a betting matrix, and I would not encourage you necessarily to uh, textbook your uh, ideas. Instinct is a powerful enough uh, tool. If you have it, go ahead and use it. But what I did is construct something of a matrix involving the top three contenders of a race and based on their odds, give you an idea as to how best to play uh, those horses. In fact, I'll give you a bit of a verbal example. I have every possible combination of uh horse based on their ranges of odds you know if you look at the matrix which should be available by the time uh you hear this program and if not it will be within the next few days is this horses are classified for me in four letters a b c and d a is any horse who is better than the odds of four to one mathematically about 20 percent those are your proverbial favorites. B horses are those who range from 4 to 1 to 9 to 2, or rather uh, 5 to 1. That's where you start to see some of the value of uh, horses and the beginnings of overlays. Then you get the C horses, basically horses who run from 6 to 1 to 9 to 1 in post time. And those are more of the value horses and more overlays, but of course obviously more risk. And then the D horses the outright long shots, and the sources of several overlays, both uh, true and false. And I think I may have to give an explanation as to false overlays, but basically, if you like a horse, but you're only a few points off on your betting uh, wagers, I mean, that is if you are making your own odds, and there's a bit of a discrepancy, but not by very much, with a horse who's a long shot, you might want to take a stand against him or her still. And there may be a reason why a horse is as uh, low as 30 or 40 to 1. 
for that kind of a horse, you'd want to be sure that he's better than 15 to 1. If the horse is still around like 20 to 1 or so, might as well forget that one. That's just an extremely basic example regarding the classifications. Now, what I did was take every combination of class for horses in those first three positions with regarding uh, contending positions. And I try to figure out how, uh, what, what horse to bet with which in the exact as and also still allowing some win bets if apropos. The golden rules I have are these. Not to wager the first and second or first and third ranks of horses by the odds in a race. You don't want to have to pick uh, two favorites and have it show up as chalk and it can hit, but you won't get much for your return. Likewise, opposite end of the spectrum, don't bet two long shots together. Doesn't happen all that often, and even though it can pay very well, you'll be uh, waiting a long time for that to happen. Everything else is pretty much fair game. I don't like to do boxes, you know, full six-horse boxes, and I don't usually like to put a uh, a big uh, long shot over a favorite. I like to do just the opposite, frankly. So there's little ideas I have on that that I will impart within the matrix for exacta wagering, and it's an entirely original concept. It'll be available through what's called Google Drive, my Google Drive, and you'll get to see the uh, results of all that, hopefully, by the time you first get to hear this edition of Idolistic Stats, which was recorded in the early hours of May 17th, 2018. I want to talk about the uh, PGA Tour here. As I have mentioned, the uh, Byron Nelson Open is uh, upon us already. PGA moving into Texas, and it's the fourth time already that the state has hosted an event this season. And uh, one of the two historical tournaments is indeed the Byron Nelson, a tournament which goes back to 1944, one of two named after a former pro golfer. Byron Nelson himself had won uh, 11 straight events and 18 tournaments overall in 1945. The big story is that there's a new golf course that only opened just two years ago, designed by the firm of Corin Crenshaw, who have designed a number of elite golf courses around the world, and seven of them have been ranked in Golf.com's latest top 100 courses in the U.S. list. My favorite types of courses are the Lynx courses, and this one, called Trinity Forest, is uh, definitely that. And it's really, um, there's a lack of trees, in fact, on this course. There's a fair amount of hills, and there are really big greens, so it's kind of inspired by the uh, British approach to golf. It seems that a number of the major golfers are recharging their batteries before another big event, the Memorial, which is in two weeks' time, and of course the U.S. Open next month in uh, June. So since most of the top 50 had already played just last week at a, the grueling TPC Sawgrass, only a few of the top 20 players in the field are in this one. As I've mentioned with PGA predictions, I have used a couple of stats and recently introduced a third that I used to help determine which golfers I think will do well. It's not a hard and fast rule, but I think 
the players that scramble, the players that are very accurate off the tee, and those who are more willing to go for it, the green, are the ones that are best to root for and to see how easily they can tame a course. I came up with five golfers this time around, but only uh, two of them, I think just the three really, will be in attendance at the Byron Nelson. Dustin Johnson, not in the field, nor is Enrique Stenson. But two golfers, actually three of them, are in the field. Hideki Matsuyama is one of them. And uh, something of note in terms of his overall stats, I'll give you the top ten, in fact, of uh, the stats that he ranks in on the tour. Well, he is number nine in the world. And looking through his stats right now via PGATour.com, I can see that he is ranking 8th in putting from uh, 10 feet and above at the rate of uh, 60% accuracy there. Also 10th in final round performance at the rate of 83.33%. And that is really it. I don't see anything else that uh, seems to be uh, of any note regarding the uh, top 10 in his stats. But I do like him though to contend, maybe even win this event. Justin Rose, uh, amazing. He's getting ready for the uh, Ryder Cup experience himself, and uh tell you what he is looking like for the uh, tour proper. He is number five in the world. Here's his top ten rankings. Fourth in birdie uh, average, sixth in scoring average, and let's see, total driving, he ranks ninth. Fourth in ranked left to rough proximity. Second overall in approaches from 100 to 125 yards. Also 200 to 225 yards. Also scrambling from 20 to 30 yards with a rate of 72%. Fantastic putter. He is in the top five in putting from 6, 7, and 8 feet, as well as the range of 4 to 8, as well as inside 10 feet. A fantastic birdie or better conversion percentage at 36.11. Fifth in par breakers, ninth in round one scoring, tenth in the fourth and final rounds of competition. In the top ten for back nine and early scoring, par fours, he ranks fifth. He's also among the top ten in par fours and par fives for the opportunity of scoring birdie or better. His weakness appears to be for uh, par 3, birdie or better. But overall, fifth in that very basic percentage of birdie or better. He's also second in uh, bouncing back. So reason very much placed to like Justin Rose. And there is Jordan Spieth. And not much has to be added about uh, Jordan Spieth and his ability. Third in greens regulation, eighth in birdie and scoring average, third in the world golf rankings, eighth in right rough proximity, the leader on the tour in fairway proximity, approaches from 125 to 150 as well as 150 to 175, also approaches from 250 to 275, and from 175 to 200, 125 to 150 to add to that. Also, 
one of the best at scrambling from 10 to 20 yards. Also, still owns the longest putt of the year at, they get this, 90 feet, 8 inches. Eighth in par breakers, second best in round scoring uh, average for round two, as well as round four, and also for the final rounds. Front nine and back nine scoring, early and late, par fours, par fives are good, so he's also weak on par threes. Par five birdie are better, he's also strong, as well as birdie are better percentage, and that's a long and short of it. So, those are the three I like. George Spieth, Justin Rose, and Hideki Matsuyama for the Byron Nelson Open. That's this week. Going to have a look at a couple of stories and figure out what to do about sports wagering here in the United States. And of course, in whatever state you live in in the Union, I know you probably have something to say. Get at me. Exact to Dan is the Twitter handle. CBLUE456 at gmail.com. And again, I think we should take a pause right here. I will be back after this. You're listening to the Idolistic Stats Podcast. It is time for a short intermission. You may grab a drink, snack, or use the restroom. Just press pause and continue play when you're ready. Or enjoy the music of DJ Flower Dove. Program. I'm Dan Herman, and this is Idolistic Stats on the web at idolisticstats.wordpress.com. I've since built another presence called ExactaDan, which is exactadan.wordpress.com. Alternative look at the stats that make up the interest with uh, sports and its uh, embracing of sabermetrics and related matters, and a little different way on how to uh, figure out how things uh, work. Also, the page exactadan.wordpress.com is going to be multifaceted. It'll be informative. I'll give you the top exactas of the day in terms of payouts. Also, collecting your stories and anecdotes about the exacta wager. Also, history on the wager. I'll even offer some uh, strategies for playing in long sides. And hopefully I'll gather some history about how the wager came to be and maybe some historic uh, thoughts as well about some of the highest payouts per track. That will be nice to uncover too. For now, I want to touch upon this big story, being that the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that they overturned a federal sports gambling law, so it won't automatically lead to fans being allowed to place uh, wagers in a number of places on... Uh, favorite sports teams. I can tell you for uh, Washington State, 
Quoting Chris Stearns, who is the commissioner of the Washington State Gambling Commission, he said that the state's anti-gaming laws would require a two-thirds majority in legislature or a referendum, saying, quote, Washington is still a pretty conservative state as far as gambling goes, and this is entirely 100% in the hands of the legislature. So nothing can happen, obviously, until next year at the earliest. Horse racing is the only sport for which gambling is allowed in Washington. Being that the gambling law was ruled unconstitutional, individual states can't decide whether to legalize sports gaming. New Jersey will uh, have something in place in a few weeks. Other states that are going to follow suit include Delaware, Mississippi, New York, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Of course, there's also the threat of uh, the league because it has also been the matter of uh, corruption. And, of course, if it extends to uh, college, there's also, well, corruption at that level. And some already think that uh, that may be going on there, too. I'm hoping for the best for all parties. Per a story by USA Today, about 20 states have considered or are considering sports betting. And that numbers should grow, but how and when states move on this will be influenced by the actions of neighboring states. And I could tell you about a few of them based on latest uh, information. I've already given you the matter of how uh, Washington looks. Let's take a look at, um, let's say, I don't know, Vermont. The state has not considered any sports gambling legislation, and a spokesperson for the governor uh, the governor's office did not immediately reply to a request for comment, but the attorney general told the local news that he doesn't see the state making a move soon. How about Colorado? Well, in Colorado, the state constitution notes that gambling on sports is illegal, and that legalization of gambling in the state would therefore require a vote of the people. And a quote given to uh, Fox in Denver on Monday, attributed to Governor John Hickmover, says that the state will need to weigh the benefits of legislation against the potential risks, like gambling addiction. And there's so much more that you can read if you go to usatoday.com as Supreme Court reporter Richard Wolf breaks down the SCOTUS ruling on sports betting here in the United States. I hope it does well. I understand that there will be some sort of attacks that will uh, hopefully uh, keep things legal, but also allow for the sports books and the casinos to flourish. And uh, I do hope uh, there will be a good positive impact on the economy and uh, infrastructure of government here in Washington and, of course, for other places as well. I think being a horse player, what I'm most impacted by is what's called the takeout. Now, that takeout depends on the na the nature of the wager and also uh, what track it is. And some places can play uh, whatever size track it is, and the takeout might be as little as 12%, but also upwards of maybe 25%. And that makes a difference when you... Uh, have wagers to make, and uh, there's less money in the pool, 
because all that money has to keep the industry going and the track going at least and pay for all the uh, workers and those who directly support the horses. And the fans don't uh, see that. They may get the benefits of that extra money, but uh, fans don't get that money. <laughs> I have always wanted a lower takeout, but um, maybe in the uh, aftermath of this recording that maybe we'll see a larger takeout. Maybe we'll see something that will offset the matter of paying a sports book, uh, let alone going to one or a casino or someplace away from a local track for a big event so that they can uh, be sure to capitalize on that. And, uh, I I think it's a fascinating subject. I, uh, again, can only speak for my residency in Washington. And I think most notably to the... Uh, sad recollection of being allowed and then being denied again the opportunity to wager via certain contests because Washington's uh, law says that gambling is illegal here. But for a window of time, window I did not foresee closing, that is, on DRF.com and ExpressBet.com and a few other websites, that it was totally okay. And even if I didn't wager regularly, I couldn't even play the contests, the tournaments. That's the part that really hurts. Well, there is a tournament I can play that is free, and it's in Maryland. And I'm pretty excited about it because there's a lot of races in the mix. And uh, the particular um, contest is run by the Racing Biz. There are two series of contests, and they're based and focused on racing in the mid-Atlantic states over there. That's uh, Frank Vespi and company theracingbiz.com, they are conducting three free online handicapping contests over Preakness Weekend and kicking off the official Match Series 2018 contest. So for Friday, Black Eyed Susan Day at Pimlico, they'll do one of the regular contests based on the results of hypothetical $2 win place wagers. On Preakness Day, they'll do something very similar, and both days will feature racing from Pimlico and some prizes. On top of that, they'll also begin their Match Series contests with four races over the weekend as part of the contest, they offer prizes for the player with the highest hypothetical earnings for those races. It also kicks off their series-long contests, where players must participate in at least 15 of the 25 match series races of the entire schedule. More details, again, at theracingbiz.com. I have a good deal of work ahead of me to handicap the races for uh, Preakness Weekend. But I'll give you details on the Black Eyed Susans and the Preakness on the blog itself at idealisticstats.wordpress.com. In the meantime, speaking of, we're going to go horse by horse and take a look, uh, virtually anyway, at uh, both races. I'll evaluate each one of them for you, and I'll tell you the end of the program, who I think will win, and he will give you some suggestion on how you might want to wager those races. That's all coming up in a little bit here on Idolistic Stats. I'm Dan Herman. Just keep it right where it is. You're listening to the Idolistic Stats Podcast. It is time for a short intermission. You may grab a drink, snack, or use the restroom. Just press pause and continue play when you're ready or enjoy the music of DJ Flower Dove.
To our program. Dan Herman here on Idolistic Stats. This show will be recorded in the early morning hours of May 17th, 2018. Email is cblue456 at gmail.com. Also on the internet at idolisticstats.wordpress.com. Also, exactadan.wordpress.com, which is, uh, yeah, it's kind of a new page. I want to focus on the exacta and everything it means to the industry. And uh, I hope to have some good content shortly on a daily basis as well as weekly and as the spirit moves. Right now, spirit moves me to telling about the two big races coming up this weekend. Firstly, the Black-Eyed Susans leading race for top fillies in the country. They'll go nine furlongs a purse of a quarter of a million dollars. Ten fillies are contesting this race, and I'm going to give you a look at each of the horses and uh, how I think they'll do. Number one is Tell Your Mama. It was run since late last summer and still a maiden after ten races. She's run from levels 51K to 74K. She was eased out of the Breeders' Cup fillies, and she was fourth in the Gulfstream Park Oaks. Her best score was an 83 Brisnet score in her fourth race, going from round to sprint for the first time. Michael and Ann Ewing claimed this filly from original trainer R.B. Hess Jr. after the great GP Oaks, and he saw it finish second with an 80 Brisnet last time out, and claimed her back upon that effort. I'm noting that a, as a generally positive sign that reclaim is, despite the slight bounce risk, moving up seven points in speed rating. Next is Midnight Disguise, who owns four wins in six races, including the Busher and the Busanda, both at her home track of Aqueduct. She was fourth last out in the Grade 2 Gazelle, a trip that was somewhat wide all through that nine-for-long race, yet still managed in 85, not far off her lifetime best of 91 at age two. She made a slight gain at the second call in that race also. She gets a positive jockey switch to Ired Ortiz Jr. and has blinkers for the first time. I see her finishing fourth, and I think she has fair odds, I believe, at a 9-1 to per my betting line. You'll remember I liked Coach Rocks very much after taking seven races to uh, break her maiden. She followed that one up with a win in the GP Oaks, then was seventh in the Kentucky Oaks. She has the best current pace pattern among Phillies. Her last three speed figures were 87, 93, and 90. I think she just misses on this one. I think she'll finish fifth. Next is Red Ruby, who won the Martha Washington and then was fourth in the Honeybee. Both races at Oaklawn Park. Lifetime best score of 92 was set in her maiden win in November. She's been off since March 10th, and she has a prior win first off layoff, and is waiting the longest of these to stretch out. She has three works in prep, one of them very fast. She came very well at the second call, last out in the Honeybee. I think she's good enough to win 
this race. Mirab comes out of an optional claimering win for $50,000. This following three stakes events with mixed results. She sent a nice lifetime best of 87, a spike up from her 58 in the Gulfstream Park Oaks. I must forecast for a bounce. I think she'll be down seventh. CS in charge, won in her fifth maiden race, backing that up with a win in Suncoast at Tampa Bay. Then was sixth last out in the Ashland. She's had to surpass that 92 score from a graduation from maiden status. Considering there was rain in the forecast, and that she put forth a superb score on a muddy Keeneland track for the Ashland, she has to be given some favorable looks. If anything, she did improve at the first two calls, first race after layoff. I do think she'll finish as high as sixth. Good one, honey, has won both for lifetime races. A six furlong race on March 24th, and the Weber City Mass at eight and a half furlongs on April 21st. She threatens as the true speed of this 10 horse field, having also posted second call scores of 102 and 92. I can make her a contender on this alone, maybe good enough to win. I think she'll finish third, with uh, odds of about 7 to 1. Indy Union was 8th in the Miss Grillo, then won her 4th maiden race with a 93. After that, she bounced to 6th in the Demoiselle with a 71. She was 2nd in the Weber City Miss, moving up to an 84, improving at each call from a prior race first after layoff. She has the best average winning distance numbers of the field. Her pedigree is Union Rags and Fap Indy out of AP Indy. Regular rider Jose Ortiz Jr. returns. Ian's Union, I think, will be outclassed here and finish 8th out of 10. Sarah Street won her second maiden race, then was second in the Busher and in the Gazelle. 99 in the Gazelle marks the best speed for today's distance, and her third consecutive gain, too. There's a possibility of a bounce here, especially as she eclipses the track par figure of 96. I think, in fact, she will finish last in this race. And finally, stakes on a plane. She was 7th in her route debut, the Grade 2 Demoiselle, on December 2nd. She won a 50k optional claimer on a money laurel track as she began her 3-year-old career. She spiked up to an 83 with that win. She was 4th in the Beyond the Wire with an 81, then 4th in the Weber City Miss, matching that 83 score. I like the recent pattern of speed figures, all following a 10-week layoff. She gets Lasix for the first time, usually a good future indicator. Also, she's the lone closer of the field. With an average pace throughout, she has a real possibility to score an upset or at least run near the shorter-priced horses. I think she's good enough to finish as high as second. She's also the lone overlay of the field. Top three here are Red Ruby, Stakes on a Plane, and Good One Honey, numbers 4, 10, and 7. Coach Rocks is the only filly beginning with odds better than 4 to 1 through the warning line. This suggests we'll have a value-filled race. I can see using 4 and 7 with each other, and over 10 in exactus, saving the 10 for a win wager, plus under the narrow warning line choice of Coach Rocks. And that's if the odds present uh, via the warning line were in the final ones at post time. And as mentioned, with rain forecast for the weekend in Baltimore, an off-track must be factored in. Generally, I don't put much stock in using simply lifetime figures for conditions, so I can only give CS in charge so much rope to do better. 
Coach Rocks and Sarah Street are definitely ones to take on more money by the public. From the back, Tell Your Mama and Mirab also should be looked at favorably. Among the horses getting ignored will be Red Ruby and Longshot Stakes on a Plane. Of course, I haven't liked both horses very much. So, it's definitely a good betting race, and I wish you well with uh, your selections. Gonna take another short break here, and uh, as I do, I'll set things, my notes uh, up anyway, for the Preakness. It's coming up on Saturday. You keep it right where it is. You're listening to the Idolistic Stats Podcast. It is time for a short intermission. You may grab a drink, snack, or use the restroom. Just press pause and continue play when you're ready, or enjoy the music of DJ Flower Dove. Program. Dan Herman with you on Idolistic Stats. This program recorded May 17th, 2018, as we now go horse by horse for the Preakness, which of course is run at the classic mile and 316th distance, translates to nine and a half furlongs. Here's the eight horses. Quip won his maiden debut in September, also in a $67,000 allowance race. He finished seventh in the Kentucky Jockey Club at the grade two level. He broke through in pace with a 98, following a 14-week layoff, debuting at three in the Tampa Bay Derby. Last time out, he was second in the Arkansas Derby, scoring a 95. April 14th is the longest wait for any of these horses, to stretch out to nine and a half. He has two first fast works at Keelan and Prep. He was second at nearly every call in his last two, both run at a snail's pace. I think he will be the winner of this year's Preakness. I like him as an overlay as well. Lone Sailor came out of the Kentucky Derby with something of a setback from his lifetime best of 100 to down to 92. Given that his 100 score of Louisiana Derby was seven weeks ago, it still allows him time to run his best effort. He is the lone closer of Veal, too. He should require a fast pace early that slows down to average. His trainer did not make any specific adjustments for this horse in preparation for the Preakness. I do think he'll finish fifth. I also believe he is an overlay. Sporting Chance has shown a mixed bag of results in his seven lifetime races. His two wins came early in his career. A maiden score at Saratoga with a strong 89, followed by a 98 in the grade one hopeful. He took in a lot of money since those races, and notably was DQ'd to fourth in the bluegrass. His last outing was in Pate Mile on Derby Day, with a troubled trip and a drop to 79 while finishing fourth. I can never trust a horse labeled as a sprinter who doesn't have some share of the lead at any point. I think he'll finish eighth. 
Diamond King had a rather interesting six races under most folks' radars, unless your radar was watching Laurel and Parks. Worst race of the bunch was the Kentucky Jockey Club as he lost his rider. All the races he's finished, his worst was in his debut, finishing within 87. Since the debacle at Churchill, he scored with 91, 93, and 95. His wins include the Heft and the Federico Tessio. Thing is, this is a big jump in class for him, and the speed figures aren't quite up to par with those who ran in the Derby. I think Simon King will finish sixth. Then we have Good Magic, who I really liked in the Derby, running very close to Justify all throughout. He's had a fine career in six starts, second in his maiden debut, second in the Champagne, winner of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with a 105 score in the Brisnet Speed Ratings, his best effort, third in the Fountain of Youth, winner of the Bluegrass, and second in the run for all those roses. He has the best pattern of speed figures of this field, last three numbers being 99, 98, and 98. He's the only early closer in the field, and requires an average pace throughout to get his pace set up properly. I think he will finish second. If there is rain, I will drop into third. Tenfold was a maiden debut winner with a 92. So he wired a field of 10 at 8.5 furlongs. He won an optional claimer of $75,000 at the same distance and the same track. Fifth in the Arkansas Derby. Lifetime speed figures are 92, 93, and 94. He's got the best average winning distance numbers of the field. His pedigree is Curlin and Temptress out of Tappet. He had a stalking trip in the Arkansas Derby, making a wide move at the turn as well. The 94 square was fastest of those with a trouble trip coming in. I think Tenfold will do well and finish fourth. I also see him as an overlay. We come to justify. Still have to wonder if he is one of the greats, the immortals. What else does he need to do to justify how excellent of a career he's had after all the naysaying and the questioning? His 102 in the Derby suggests he will certainly get today's distance easily enough. Also with the promise of an off track coming up on Saturday, that 104 from his second lifetime race makes him a bigger threat. In fact, the 102 score is actually a bounce from his 114 to race his back in the Santa Anita Derby. No question he's the true speed. The question is, is it enough? It might be. I'm projecting an upset here. I think he will finish third, though if there is rain, I think he's good enough for second. I like him with my odds for him being maybe five to one. And finally, there is Bravazo, who has wins from his second maiden race. Then a $62,000 optional claimer than the grade 2 risen star with a lifetime best of 98 Brisnet. He bounced to a 76 in the Louisiana Derby and then back to 96 while finishing 6th in the Kentucky Derby. He is subject to a bounce this time around. I think he will be 7th. That's your field for the Preakness Stakes. My top 3 in summary. 1, 5, and 7. Quip, Good Magic, and Justify. Quip I also like as an outright overlay as well as, I think, Lone Sailor and Tenfold are overlays. Even with two Major League favorites in my top three, it's an even more inviting sort of race to wager in. I can see using horses one, six, and two for wins, using them under five and seven for exactas, and also I will use exactas using uh, horses five and one and seven and one. In terms of odd movement, the only trend I'm seeing is the money that Tenfold will take. People may overlook his pedigree, his fast trouble trip, plus his slight gain on the leaders last time out. So, that's one to keep your eyes on as the odds change. That'll put the cap on the bottle for this edition of 
Idolistic Stats. This program recorded May 17th, 2018. Sources for this uh, program include USA Today, the Seattle Times, also uh, PGATour.com, and my thanks to all of you for uh, lending an ear, and also to DJ Flowerdove for uh, helping to uh, produce this program. The website, idolisticstats.wordpress.com. Hope you do well with however you play these races. As always, I caution you to bet with your head and not over it. Also, check out the new Exacta Dan Presence, the websites again, idolisticstats.wordpress.com and exactadan.wordpress.com. Hope to see you soon. Take care. Be well.